0: We are starting off a new teaching series titled Imperfect Families. This is week one of four, and it's a teaching series really for us to remember, and that there are no perfect families. So I don't know if you feel the pressure or not to like show that you've got it all together. I certainly have with my family before, and it's just like... Oh yeah, yeah, actually the best thing is to acknowledge that there's no perfect families. Now that being said, we want you to live well in the unique role that you have in your family. And so that's what the next four weeks are going to be about. Now, if I were sitting where you're at and looking at someone up on stage, I'd be like, all right, yeah, Patterson, well, what do you bring to the table when it comes to family? That's a great question. So I have provided a picture for you. My wife, Liz, and I have seven children, ages 5 through 11. Please do not be misled. It does not look this kind and gentle all of the time. Okay. In fact, this is few and far between. You should have seen behind the scenes what had to happen in order to get this picture to be taken. We're driving to the photo shoot and I said, kids, please, anything. Don't run off in the woods. Stay clean. Smile when you're asked to. Just stay in your own lane. Don't boss each other around and I will give you as much ice cream as you can possibly eat. And they're like, okay, okay. And I am not above bribing my children. You know, I don't like to do it all the time, but I, I do it once in a while. And when I do, I like it to be a secret, so that way people can think, "Oh, wow, they do really have it together a little bit." You know, and the, there's the pressure of trying to feel like you're perfect again. But I was exposed within the first five minutes. The kids are saying to the photographer, "Am I doing a good job smiling? Dad says he'll give us ice cream if I do a good job smiling." I was just like, "Yeah, yeah, I said that. <laughs> I said that." And what I want to talk about today is really raising a family. Now, if you have kids at home, as I do, and kids living at home, then I've been praying for you all week that the Lord would just be able to calm your mind and open up your soul to hear from Him. That you would forget about who's coming over for lunch or all the dishes that need to be done or the laundry or homework that needs to be tended to or the carpools to all the activities this week. That when we open up God's Word today, that you could really hear from Him. Now, if you're, if you're not a parent and you don't have kids, uh, but maybe you hope to someday, then consider this message as kind of a, a little a bit of an undergraduate course, and, and you can learn and plan and prepare ahead. If you're, if you're a student living at home, this is an insight to the playbook, maybe, of what mom and dad would like for your family, and you, and you could come on board with that. And then finally, if you have grown children who are already out of the house, like, good for you. I mean, you just deserve a round of applause. I mean, that's tough. Getting them out alive um but i would say keep sharpening those tools i look to my parents and my in-laws for their insight and their advice and their stories and what they're learning and it's a great encouragement to me so i'd hope that you could could get on board with that as well and then of course we're always thinking about people who need to hear the message and this message will be online in the media center as as well so if someone pops into your mind we certainly share it Before I say uh, too much more into the message, I'd like to just offer a quick prayer to align with the Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are the perfect dad, and we are your children, and we're here today to learn from you. Please teach us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, growing up in school, uh, I didn't like school too much. I always said it didn't fit my learning style. I was active. I wanted to talk with my classmates, see what they were really thinking. Even like test the teacher a little bit. Like, are you sure you know the content here? And they didn't really like that too much. My favorite subjects were PE, lunch, recess, you know, like organized play, eat, have some free play. That's what I looked forward to every day. But I did enjoy when the teacher would say, okay, class, we're going to have a group project. And I was like, yes, group project. And some of you just slumped a little bit lower. You're like, no, no, not group projects. Because we know there's three types of people that come to a group project. There's the doers, there's the helpers, and there's the talkers, right? The doers are those type A people who like their to-do lists have a to-do list and a sub-to-do list. Like if you get a group of doers, the project is getting done. Probably overdone, but done nonetheless. Then the helpers, they look to see how everyone can be involved and have an equal share and where they could use their gifts the best. And, and they're the kind souls of the world. We need helpers. Helpers get the job done. Then there's the talkers. You never know what you're going to get with the talkers. You know what that uh, where they stand on things, but you don't know if they're actually going to walk The talk, their work ethic is kind of questionable at times, and they can kind of just disappear and fade to black when it comes to a group project. And so when the teacher would say, group project, I would huddle up at the group, and my plan was like, okay, here's the assignment, now you guys go get it taken care of, I will present to the class. (laughs) You know, like, I'll see you at the end of this thing, and don't worry, we'll get an A, all right? I'm going to do well at this. And some of you are looking at me like, Ben, you are the reason why I don't like group projects. But I share that story with you all to say that life is a group project. And the group that you've been assigned to work with closely is your family. And whether you like it or not, the faster we can get on board with this, then the better we can live as families. I grew up in a family. That's not unique to me. You grew up in a family. We all have experiences growing up in families. Now, even brothers and sisters have different experiences all across the board uh, growing up under the same parents, but still, there's themes that go through. Some of us grew up with an amazing childhood where we were always provided for, and there's food on the table, and new clothes, and family vacations, and we learned responsibility on an appropriate growth curve, right? Right? And then there's some of us who are on the other end of the spectrum where we don't want to think about childhood, where it's scarred, where it's broken, where maybe it was stolen from us at an early age because, well, responsibility was heaped upon us and we had to be forced into independence. So what happens is that a boy and a girl grow up with these separate childhoods and they come together and they have this great idea that they're going to start their own family, right? And they talk about the good things from their childhood that they would like to remain good from their own with their own kids and the bad things from childhood that, like, oh, well, we, should, we can avoid that. And then the bad things that actually looking back were good. So then now they try to figure out how to navigate those things as well. And it's an amazing idea and it's an amazing plan. And then you have a kid... And it's amazingly hard. And it doesn't go to plan. And it's not what you thought it was going to be. And speaking from personal experience, having the plan to have a family and follow Christ, and then it doesn't go to plan, you start to become a little discouraged. And you think, man, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. Things were easier when I could just watch the game whenever I wanted to watch the game. I could hang out with my friends whenever I wanted to hang out with my friends, but when I could eat whatever I wanted to eat without trying to having to hide it, right? We've all got our secret stash. And you just become a shell of yourself, and you wonder, is this really worth it? Should I just smile and go along with the script? I don't know if you've ever felt that way. If you do, if you have, you're not alone. And when I get that type of feeling, I like to go to God's Word and say, Does anyone else ever experience this in the Bible? That I can learn from it in a historical context that God was involved. And the good news is, yes, there were people who were living as a group and then felt like taking the easy road and giving up. And it's in, we're going to read in Hebrews chapter 10 today. So the scripture will be on the screen, but I'll give you a minute if you have a phone Bible application or a tablet, you have a minute to get it out of your pocket or your purse if you'd like to follow along. It's also printed out in the bulletin. That's all the scripture we're going to be anchored in today and we're not going to race by it. It's worth holding on to it and following along. And, uh, and this is the part of the message where I do need to say, like, if you do not follow Jesus, then from this point on, everything for you can be advice. You can pick and choose what you want to use. We certainly don't expect that you would live according to this way that God's outlined. But uh, you can certainly listen in and have an idea of what it's about. And if you do follow Jesus, if you are a Christian, then this is insanely practical stuff for us to work out in our families, in the group projects that God has assigned us. So Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to start at verse 19. You can follow along. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Now I'm skipping to verse 35. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Now you may be thinking, "Yeah, th- th- there's a few good things in there that I picked up, like that meeting together thing and encouraging." But, but you might want to, you might have gone a little bit too fast. So we're going to dig in, and I want you to understand more about what's going on here in this section of scripture. The Hebrews are a group of people who heard the good news of Jesus Christ, and they were on board with it. They were like, "Yes." They they had been living out the Jewish traditions of the Old Testament. Okay, which all the, the laws and the rituals and sacrifices and those were good. But the news of Jesus Christ was like, yes, all of that had its time and place. It was all pointing towards Jesus. And now Jesus has lived. He has died. He is resurrected. He's the sacrificial lamb. And you don't have to do all of this stuff. It's all about following Jesus. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the Hebrews are like, yes, we are in. This is what it's about. And it was amazing. And then it started to become a little more cloudy because, well, following Jesus, well, yes, that's what it's all about and that's what they're excited about. They saw Jewish people still in the region nearby following those old traditions and those sacrifices. They thought, you know what? That... Act- this following Jesus is kind of confusing a little bit. Some things made sense back there, so maybe we could mix the two together. Like, we'll still follow Jesus, but we still want to hold on to the, our old ways. And then, uh, and then another thing that happened to them, which was totally unplanned, was that the Jewish people were actually calling these Hebrews and saying that Jesus was blasphemous and that it wasn't even true. They started throwing him in jail and they started killing him and the Hebrews were like, what is going on? And so now they're about ready to stop following Jesus. They're about ready to give up and go their own way. And and the writer of Hebrews knows. You know, the, we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. It could be Paul, but we're, we're not positive. But the writer of Hebrews sits down and writes this letter and says, no, not you, not now. And if you're alone and go in it by yourself, then yeah, you're going to have a tendency to give up. It's a lot easier to give up when you're the only one that knows about it. But as a group, it's a lot harder. And look at all the words within these seven, eight verses that we just read that show that this is a group project. We, us, we, us, our, us, us, our, we, us, one another, together, one another. There is no, I will do this, or it's up to me, no, it's all about us and we. And so if you've ever felt like giving up, well, welcome to life on the big blue marble, right? We all have these times. And this is where we must come together as a group and the writer of hebrews then gives a prescription of what they need to do and how they need to carry forward so they do not give up following jesus christ and so the prescription if you will comes in three pills okay each one of these three directions that he has from from the scriptures start with two words let us I don't know if you say that really fast, it sounds like lettuce. You're like, what does a salad have to do with this thing? Salad doesn't really have anything to do with it, but if you have a salad for lunch or a piece of lettuce on your sandwich, then maybe it will help you with the application today. But let us are the first two words of each of these applications that the writer of Hebrews has. And the first one is, let us go to God. Verse 22 is the scripture Reference where we see this. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. You know, when when you and I read this, we can think, let us go to God? I mean, that's just superficial. I mean, come on, give me something to really do. But we must remember... We can read this from a historical viewpoint. When this was written, it was written to encourage and to make sense to the people of the time. And when the Hebrew people would have read this, it's steeped in Jewish tradition, going to God. This was like the realignment for them. This would have hit home hard. Like, yes, you're right, we do go to God. Everyone's worshiping thousands of other gods, but we have the one true God. And that's where we need to go first. But I don't know Here, if you've had this problem. I certainly have. The times where I need to go to God the most are actually the times where I want to go to God the least. That's a problem. There's something wrong with that. And so we together as family need to be going to god on behalf of one another this is a group project when did family become so lackadaisical that i wouldn't as a brother or a father or an uncle drive over put my arm around you and say you don't want to go to god with this problem well i'm going to pray for you i'm going to god on your behalf and we pray for each other and we bring each other to god we first go to god together But there's still that thing in the back of your mind like, uh, I don't know. And this, this is one of the biggest mistakes that I've made as a Christian. I think that God is actually limited to the same qualities that I have. So for example, if I do something bad, then that usually makes someone mad. So then, if I'm bad, then God must be mad at me. That's not true. Or my feelings are fickle and they change even regarding the same person or the same type of thing. It just might be a different day. And so since I have fickle feelings, then God, his feelings are fickle. That's not true. Or I And I'm inconsistent with what I say and what I do, so God must be inconsistent too, right? Wrong. God is not like me. God is not like you. Now, let's be clear, God does like you, God does like me, but he is not bound by our qualities or by our ways. And So we must remember who God is and what qualities he has. And so I've even written on a note card I carry with me from time to time about the qualities of God so I can always remember who God is, that God is faithful, that he's consistent, that he's bound by his own law. He says it is finished you've been completely justified you are right before god he is permanently smiling at you now tell me that you don't want to go to god when you remember these things about who he is so that's the first step let us go to god the second is let us be people of hope verse 23 has this supporting scripture let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful hope is relevant in every situation hope is not luck hope is not the power of positive thinking or the glass is half full or pull up your boots and get to work hope isn't just smile and get through it hope is relevant in every situation you see the promiser is the one who makes the promise great and who has promised hope for you and me god himself and with god anything is possible and so we always have hope whether it's right here in this life or in the life to come there is hope But what's the problem for hope? What's what's in the back of our minds? It's like uh, I don't really know. What sabotages hope? Your mouth. What can amplify hope? Your mouth. What you say matters. And, and we need to be speaking of the hope that we have to the Lord, especially in our groups and in when the people that we're, we're with. We speak of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We show up to church on Sunday to hear a sermon, to hopefully learn something within the 25 to 30 minutes that can help us out and learn more about God. But nothing that I will say here this morning can compare to the sermon series that you preach yourself every single day of the week. And is that a sermon series of hope? Or are you speaking to yourself doubt and bad things? And we wonder why then we have doubt through bad things. We need to be speaking of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So we go to God, we speak of the hope, and then third, let us meet together and encourage each other. Verses 24 and 25, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now maybe you think like, oh, going to God. Okay. Oh, talking about hope. Okay. Well, this one might even be more like, huh? I mean, the writer is writing to Hebrews who are being killed and persecuted and he says, hey, huddle up together and encourage each other. That'll help. And we're like, huh? Really? But no, let's, let's play this out. Who, who wouldn't want to be a part of a group that got together and offered encouragement? Right? I mean, that's powerful stuff. Why wouldn't we strategically plan ways that we could show up and encourage each other? That when, a, that when someone comes home from school or you get together for the first time in a long time, why wouldn't you have one thing that you could say that would be an encouragement to another person? Don't make something up, but be people who encourage, who wouldn't want to be a part of that. And in whatever way that you need to meet, I mean, meet together for a little devotion. Meet together for a board game. Just coming together and encouraging each other is, is huge. And the writer of Hebrews knows it. It's, you might be wondering, well, how do, I, how do I get encouraged in that? That's the paradox of the Christian journey that when you look to encourage someone else, you find yourself encouraged. Now in closing, I want to read Hebrews 10.39. This is a declaration about who we are. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Whatever's back there that you're debating on just going back to you know, and taking the easy way, no. we We do not give up. We have trust in the Lord and we move forward. I'm not saying you have to be sprinting forward all the time. You can stand where you're at, but we do not. Go back. So much of life, we think, is about climbing the mountaintop and reaching that peak. And then we have arrived. Right? Well, the mountaintops and the peaks may come. And so do the valleys. But really, life is about perseverance and staying the course and moving forward. And it'd be my prayer that when you see a father or mother or a son or a daughter, that, which you, who you actually see as a sister or a brother in the journey of following Jesus Christ. Let me say a prayer for you. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word and that we can learn from it thousands of years later. That it was an encouragement to the Hebrews of the time as well. Thanks that you love us all the time, no matter what. And you know where each one of us stands, and I pray that you offer the appropriate encouragement and nudge to work well in our families. In Jesus' name we pray, and God's children said, Amen. Amen.